Welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. In our last lesson, as we learned of the glimpses of God's grace in the life of Joshua, we discovered that when God brought his people to the edge of the promised land the first time, their focus had been more upon their own deficiencies than on God's power and the certainty of his promises. Believing themselves to be small, weak and ineffective, like grasshoppers when compared to their adversaries, they turned away in unbelief from the land that God had given them and were then forced to wander in the desert for 40 years. During those nomadic years, they successfully faced many opponents. The outcomes of those battles, coupled with what had happened to Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea when they fled Egypt, meant that the Israelites' reputation preceded them, or perhaps I should more accurately say the reputation of their God preceded them, causing fear in the hearts of those they had yet to encounter. Today, as we focus on God's amazing grace shown to one of their adversaries, we go back in time to just before Israel crossed over the Jordan River. The well-fortified city of Jericho loomed on the horizon, just five miles from the river. It stood guard over the fords of the Jordan. This Canaanite city was built on a mound for defensive advantage and seemed totally impenetrable because of its high, thick walls. Following Moses' example all those years before, Joshua chose to send out spies on a reconnaissance mission to assess Jericho's real strength. I think, though, he had learned from his own mission all those years before, because he secretly sent out only two men. Once within the city walls, the spies met with the subject of our study today, a woman by the name of Rahab. Turn with me to Joshua 2 verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim where they were encamped. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. It may seem strange to us that spies who essentially were on a holy mission would immediately seek out a prostitute, but I think it makes good strategic sense. After all, who would be able to tell you what the fighting men were talking about if not the very woman who was supplying them with wine and entertainment? It wasn't long, however, before someone reported the Israelites' presence in the city to the king of Jericho. Learning that they were with Rahab, the king quickly commanded the prostitute to, and I quote, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Let's look at verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. 
go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Rahab does the extraordinary. She puts her own life in danger by not only hiding the spies, but by lying to the ruler. In those days, the gates of walled cities were shut at night for protection, and Rahab, professing innocence, claims that the men slipped out of the city as night was falling. Though she insists that she did not know where the spies were going, it would not be difficult for the king to guess that they might be headed in the direction of the fords. Without a doubt, Rahab showed remarkable courage that day, but why did she do it? Why did she hide them and lie to protect them? The answer is found in what she says to the spies in verses 8 through 11. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. They have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This is so interesting. Her report of how her people viewed the Israelites is exactly what God had promised Moses years before. In Exodus 23 verse 27, the Lord had sworn, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. And again, he promised in Deuteronomy 2 verse 25. This very day I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. Can you imagine how often stories of the Israelites and their God had been repeated in Jericho over the last 40 years? First, there would have surely been the reports of the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's army. Then came the accounts of how the Israelites followed a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and how these signs were something to do with the power and the presence of their God. More recently, there was the destruction of the Amorite kings. These stories had been circulating over the years and Rahab of all people would have heard the rumors from the men who came through her doors. If their hearts melted in fear, it was because people were talking about the Israelites and their God who went before them. I often like to think in pictures. Can you imagine the scene in Jericho as the Israelites approached? Suddenly one night someone looks out of their window in the wall and says, what's that strange glow to the east? In the morning, an unusual cloud formation seems to have settled on the other side of the Jordan River, and the people of Jericho suddenly realize that this nation they'd heard about and the God who accompanied them had finally arrived. 
Can you imagine what it must have been like to be in that city? They must have been terrified. Their only consolation was that the Jordan River was between them and this group massing on their border, and thankfully that river was in full flood at the time. Believing themselves to be safe, at least until the river subsided, all of Jericho held their breath. However, the very message that caused the hearts of her countrymen to melt in fear caused Rahab's heart to believe God. It was by the grace of God that Rahab came to this point, for not only was he working to his plan, preparing the way for his people to inhabit the land, he'd also been preparing Rahab to receive the message of his deliverance. Only God can prepare a human heart to believe in him. Only God can order circumstances and awaken understanding to create that moment when someone begins to believe. And believe she does, because in verse 11, she calls him not only the Lord of heaven above, but the Lord of the earth below as well. She pleads with the spies then in verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Rahab asked for the deliverance of herself and her family, and I think she shows us it is not enough just to be acquainted with God. We must be willing to cast our lot in with him and become part of his people. This is really an important truth for all of us to grasp. It is not just enough to know about God. Even James warns in the New Testament in James chapter 2 verse 19, you believe that there is one God? Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. According to John chapter 17 verse 3, eternal life is that we know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That word know in the verse speaks of knowing by experience, not just by hearing. It is so much more than head knowledge. In fact, the word was often used to speak of the intimate relationship of a husband and wife. It is a deep, personal experience of the life of another person. That is what God desires us to have with him. And I think this has become a real issue for us in the world of today. Many of us have Bibles and studies, internet messages at our fingertips. Knowledge about God is available everywhere. Yet, unfortunately, it seems to have resulted more in apathy than in reverence and obedience, as it was Rahab's experience. It's very easy today to settle on the edges of faith, where not much is required, but life is good and can go on as usual. Rahab didn't have that luxury. Her decision that day was quite literally a matter of life and death, and really, it still is. 
The spies responded in verse 14, Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she led them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hill so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. We're told that Rahab actually lived in the wall of the city. Recent archaeological excavation at the Old Testament site has produced findings that are absolutely consistent with the biblical account. It seems Jericho had two walls. The outer wall was 12 feet thick and the inner wall 6 feet thick. And there is evidence that as the city became more crowded, people had made their homes in the 15-foot gap between the two. Remarkable, isn't it, that Rahab's home was in the very wall that fell. Likely Rahab and the spies had no idea of the real danger she would be in, living within the wall itself. But God prompted the spies to give her specific instructions before they disappeared into the night. Verse 17. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you've brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. I find this so touching and affirming. They probably hadn't expected to encounter a pagan woman who wanted to know their God. And how do you explain faith as you're escaping for your lives through a window? Well, they shared what they knew. They knew God had saved them from death in Egypt by the scarlet blood of the lamb on their doorposts. By faith, they offered her that same message of deliverance, trusting that God would honor his name and her faith. And what is that message we see in the Passover and in the scarlet cord in Rahab's window? It is that salvation is by faith in the shed blood of Christ, for without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And while Christ's blood is available for everyone, only those who shelter under it are delivered. During the Passover, the Israelites had to stay in their homes while the death angel passed over or be lost themselves. And in just the same way, Rahab and her family had to remain in her house until God moved against Jericho or the promise would not be of any effect. Rahab, for her part, obeyed. She didn't drape the cord on a shelf and look over at it from time to time. She didn't lay it aside, planning to hang it at the last minute. No, she put it in the window just as she was told. Faith is not what we say or what we think. It is what we do. 
It's not mental agreement with a set of facts. It is casting yourself on those facts, trusting them to be true and living by them. That's why Hebrews 11 verse 1 uses words like substance and evidence to describe faith. Faith isn't just something we feel or think. It is a conviction that can and must be shown. Verse 21. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Joshua too ends with Rahab waiting in her house, obedient to the message the spies had delivered and trusting in the scarlet cord to mark her for deliverance. Meanwhile, the spies returned to the camp with their report and then things began to happen. As we saw last week in Joshua 3 and 4, the Israelites miraculously and very publicly crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, throwing even more fear into the hearts of those already terrified inhabitants of Jericho. They set up camp at Gilgal and made the twelve stones into a memorial, and under the watchful eye of their enemies, the first thing they did was celebrate the Passover. Decades before, the Passover had started their journey to the Promised Land, and now another Passover was about to end it. As they ate food from the promised land for the first time, the manna ceased just as God said it would. God was establishing the spiritual life of his people to begin a new chapter in their journey. Meanwhile, Rahab waited and trusted. When everything was ready in the nation of Israel, God moved against their enemies. Joshua 6 verse 1 tells us, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. We're familiar with the story. Can you imagine how that scene must have played out over the first six days? How fear within the city would have been growing day by day. And when the marching strategy changed on day seven, I'm sure the people crowded into the wall, straining to see what it meant. Can you imagine the noise and the reverberations that surrounded them? 
When the military march in rhythm, it's known as cadence. What you may not know is that when a fighting force comes to a structure, such as a bridge, they can never march in cadence while crossing it. They have to break rhythm because the cadence of their march would actually cause the bridge to collapse. Did God use something like the extra weight and the marching and the noise to destabilize the wall as part of the miracle? We don't know. The only thing we do know from both the scripture and the archaeological evidence is that the wall did fall. Interestingly, a German excavation of the wall that took place from 1907 to 1909 discovered that there was a small section of the northern wall around Jericho that did not fall, which gives rise to the question, is that where Rahab's house stood? What do you think? Whatever the case, once the wall fell, Rahab's wait was finally over. Her faith was vindicated. Judgment came on everything and everyone in Jericho, but that judgment passed over Rahab and her family because they were sheltered under the scarlet cord. Joshua ordered the two men who had spied out the land in verse 22, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold, the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. There is something else very important to see here. Rahab was delivered because she persevered in her faith. She kept on believing, kept on trusting to the end. Nearly three weeks had passed since the spies had left her house. There were days when she saw and heard nothing that would indicate the promise was coming. Then came the days when she saw God beginning to move as the Israelites marched silently around the city. I can't help but wonder what would have happened if she'd given up and removed the scarlet cord before the seventh day. But her faithfulness eventually had an effect on her whole family's future. Although Rahab and her family were initially placed outside of the Israelite camp, that's not where she was left. We're told in verse 25 that Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Because of God's incredible grace, Rahab was welcomed into the nation of Israel and dwelled with them. She was included in his people. What a future and what a hope that gave her. Think of everything that would have worked against this ever happening for her. Her people were enemies of God. She was a pagan, probably an idol worshipper. She was a woman, and what's more, she'd been a prostitute, not someone you'd welcome to your feast, right? However, the grace goes beyond even that, because we learn in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, that Rahab is listed in the human lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
She married a man named Salmon, who was a leader in Israel. In fact, tradition tells us he was one of the two spies who rescued her. She became the mother of Boaz, and from there the line continues through King David and ultimately to Mary, the mother of Christ. Rahab is one of only four women besides Mary mentioned in the genealogy of Christ, something very unusual in Jewish genealogies altogether. And interestingly, each one of the four women has some taint or scandal you would not expect to see in a royal line. Two were even from foreign nations. But God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't play favorites, and his plan has always included people from every nation, every group, and every background. What an incredible God we serve. God's grace is just the same today. It doesn't matter where we've come from or what we've done. Nothing can disqualify us from salvation except unbelief. Romans 3.23 reveals that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like Rahab, we all desperately need to be reconciled to him. Rahab turned away from her people and from the culture of the day to trust the God whose grace she had glimpsed from afar. And in so doing, she received the full, complete salvation that he offers. God longs to include us in his family just as he did Rahab. We need only believe in him and shelter under the scarlet cord of Christ's blood that he himself has provided. God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.